This is episode 54 of Extraordinary Women Radio. Welcome to Extraordinary Women Radio. I am your host, Cami Gilmer. Women are being called to lead with voice, vitality, and vigor. Each week, join me for wisdom-filled interviews with extraordinary women living out loud and making a difference in our world. Their stories will uplift, inspire, and spark your own purpose-driven journey. Hello, my Extraordinary Women friends. Today, we're joining our Extraordinary Women radio guest, Amber Ray, in celebration of her new book, Choose Wonder Over Worry. Choose Wonder Over Worry is launching around the world today, and I am happy to be part of this celebration. I invite you to jump out to Amazon today and order a copy of her book and perhaps gift a few to some Extraordinary Women friends. I love being a part of the energy of a launch day, and when I reflect back, when my book Fire Dancer launched, the build-up to the launch day, the anticipation, all the happenings, the celebration when it hit bestseller, it's so exciting. And I'm thrilled to be a part of Amber's big day. Amber Ray has inspired me with her creative ventures and thought-provoking writing for several years now. Amber has been called a millennial motivator by Fortune and the Brene Brown of Wonder by Mind Body Green. Her work invites you to live your truth, befriend your emotions, and express your gifts. Amber's writing blends raw personal storytelling with actionable aha moments and has reached more than 5 million people in 195 countries. Her public art has spread to more than 20 countries, and she's spoken and collaborated with brands like Kate Spade, Apple, Amazon, and Unilever. Amber has been featured in the New York Times, Time, Fast Company, BBC, ABC World News, and more. She's truly an extraordinary woman. This is a delightful interview with a woman who is making ripples around the world. The stories she shares in this interview are funny and real and will inspire. Let's dig in and meet Amber Ray, the author of Choose Wonder Over Worry. Well, welcome to Extraordinary Women Radio, Amber. I'm so thrilled to have you join us today, and I'm really excited for you and your new book, Wonder Over Worry. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much, and it's so great to be here. Yeah, and so you and I met back at the Success Summit 3.0 in Boulder several years ago. Yeah, what a conference that was, wasn't it? Yeah, very, very interesting indeed. (laughs) There was a lot of great people. I actually saw Lynn Twist this weekend. Um, Oh. Ooh, I, during that, that time I got to have dinner, you know, how they had the, the dinner breakout sessions during that conference. And I saw Lynn this weekend. So, you know, it's just fun. It's like all the, the connections that you can make when, when you're out and about. Absolutely. Yeah. Love her work so much. Soul of money was such a great read. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been in love with your journey ever since then. I, you and I got an opportunity to meet there and, you know, I, I really love your story like so many people in my community, you started your career in the world of tech, Mm. working those long hours, frenzied life. How did that early Silicon Valley experience really lead you to your wonder journey? Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, I thought Silicon Valley tech, that whole world does everything that I should want. Right. And, you know, on paper, it looked really great. <laughs> Absolutely. Then, it's like, you see, okay, this is what I really want. And then you get there and you go, Hmm. Yeah. 
it was like to the world, I was like, I am accomplished. I am something. And, you know, I think I was really being driven by a desire for approval and a feeling of significance and a feeling like I mattered because at the time I don't, I, I don't think I was aware that I wasn't really feeling that on the inside. And so I was being driven unconsciously to like prove myself and to, you know, be applauded in some way. And so that was what really motivated me there. And also led me to just feel a sense of complete emptiness. You know, that's, that was like a core self-destructive period of me popping Adderall to get more done, have longer hours, you know, drinking more to take the edge off. There's, you know, the alcohol the happy hour scene in tech is like, it's like a nightly thing. Right. And, you know, and, but then like, and then the extreme hours and the burnout and the anxiety, but not really the space to, at least I didn't have it at the time to, to talk about my emotions and what I was really going through. And, you know, I think there was a moment when I realized, and there was a very clear moment when I was, you know, standing, I was in my um, apartment in Marina and I had this thought like, this isn't my life. I'm living someone else's life. Mm-hmm. And while, you know, it looked perfectly great on paper and people were applauding me for my tra- quote unquote trajectory of success that I was on, it just like felt, I felt so far from who I was to the point that I didn't know who I was anymore. Right. You know, that's, that's such a common theme that I hear. I hear and it's certainly the, how I felt when I left my own tech world. It's, you know, when I left that journey, it was like, who am I? Where, where have I lost this touch with this person that I once was? And, um, you know, so you felt that. I felt that. And, and, and what did you do with it? Well, you know, the wonder really came through the questions of like, okay, mm. so this isn't me, but wait, what is? Right. Who am I? Why am I here? What am I curious about? What drives me? What's motivating me? What do I want to be motivating me? I really like the wonder came in this like, sudden sense of curiosity of like, well, shit, that's not working. So I better like, better get going. I'm figuring out and, you know, uncovering what is. And so the wonder really came through this, this journey of self-discovery and self-exploration that I then began embarking on. And, um, when I, when I left tech, I did it. So I've been writing, I think, you know, for about probably two years, I've been writing on a Tumblr back when Tumblr was a thing. Mm -hmm. In the early days, I started a Tumblr blog and, I was journaling, uh, or not, well, I was journaling, but journaling like publicly, not thinking anyone would read about, you know, some of my emotions and my feelings and things I was going through. And I began building a following, which I didn't expect. And so, you know, I decided in this 48 hour period to quit my job, sell everything I own and to move across the country um, from SF to New York. And I feel like that was me saying like, okay, well, for me, I felt like I needed a full, complete reset change and I needed it immediately because I'd been thinking about it for nine months. I'd been asking mentors who told me it was a terrible idea. You know, I just felt like I had to go. And so I did. And that was really like, you know, that was, that was the moment when I, I chose myself and chose curiosity of what's possible over fear of the unknown. Oh, I love and, it. And it was a 48 hour decision. 48 well, it was like, I sat down with this, my friend Amit Gupta, who, you know, he was the only person at the time who was like, Amber, go to New York. You'll feel called there, go. And I had all these excuses. Well, I don't have money. I didn't have any savings. He's like, great. That makes a better story. And I'm like, but I have all this stuff. <laughs> right. Right. I, was like, I love it. He's like, I can't wait to see what happens and how you figure out how to make it. Cause you will like, you know, he's like, great. Like, you know, that's, that's a, 
fun experiment. And then, and that's like what he said to everything. And I was like, but I have this job. He's like, great. Do you need help on a resignation letter? (laughs) And then like, he just had solutions to every, um, you know, fear or problem that I thought I had. And he made it actually feel so easy. Um, and so that's how did you trust? I mean, what was the trust factor that, that, that you knew it was the right thing for you? For me, it was a feeling in my body. Yeah. It was like, it was a lightness and expansiveness and openness that I Mm -hmm. hadn't felt in a really long time. And, you know, Gay Hendricks says when thinking about whether or not to make a decision to imagine yourself in that future scenario and to pay attention to how your body responds. Absolutely. And, you know, I've always, not always, but I feel like, you know, over the years I've discovered that for me, the light way tends to be the right way. Mm-hmm. And I remember there's just like this overwhelming sense of lightness and ease and yes. And even though like I knew there were going to be challenges and difficulty and like so many unknowns that were going to be really uncomfortable, I, those felt exciting. Yes. Yes. And what was it about New York that, that it was calling to you? I don't even know because I'd never been to New York. <laughs> oh, wow. So you'd never even been there. You just said, I'm going and you, you went. Yeah. Well, no, actually I take that back. I had gone for a brief, um, weekend and that okay. was like what solidified it. And then I came back and that's before, previously I felt really called there. And then I went for a weekend. I was like, okay, yeah, this is where I gotta be. And I, it was just like, I think the energy of the city mm-hmm. and, um, it just felt like the place. And so he really was that catalyst who was like, go. And so, and, and he was the one who also said to me, it was a Wednesday and he's like, so um, move there on Friday. And I was like, ha ha ha. And he's like, no, I'm serious. And then I ended up moving there on Friday. <laughs> like two days later. That's two days awesome. later. <laughs> that is so awesome. So you get to New York and what happens then? I get to New York. Well, so I, I didn't tell my mom what I was doing. I didn't want to, her to <laughs> throw it, which like my mom's an entrepreneur. So she's mm-hmm. like, pretty comfortable with risk and has been quite encouraging of me. I'd say, you know, I didn't deal with like the very, like, you know, this is the way parent. My mom was always like, make your own rules. Right. So I I super appreciate that. But, you know, I I called her when I got to the airport and she was like, oh boy, you know, like, yeah. (laughs) and she was just like, I love you. Be safe. Call me when you get there. But I then sat down and wrote and wrote a piece about what I was doing and what I had just done. And it was the first time that I sort of gathered my thoughts. And then I posted on that Tumblr blog and like told my friend Amit who had inspired me. And when I landed in New York, that piece had gone viral. Oh, that gives me goosebumps. That t- and you're and you're writing. I know you're writing. I've followed your writing for years, and I love your writing. You you Thank have you. such a beautiful way of of just really going in and hearing what's supposed to flow from you, and it just it, your writing speaks of that. So mm. I can see why that went viral. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and I just I just said like here's why I'm doing this. I, and I, I think I said like, you know, I can't even remember the title, but it was something about this 48 hour leap and how I had been living the life that I thought everyone else wanted me to live. And now I was going to you know discover who I really was. And so I think that landed at that time for a lot of people ended up spreading. And so I landed in New York to like job offers, a production company wanted to create a TV show and all these opportunities. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, that's crazy. Um, and clearly I didn't want a job. Um, so I was like, did you like the people offering me like, Hey, do you want to talk about working here? I was like, did you read the post? 
<laughs> you know, I was like, I was not paying for employment. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, but I, you know, I really just started a series of experiments. I ended up, um, the friend Amit, because, you know, I, I had some savings because I had sold my car and all my stuff. Um, but I ended up calling up my friend Amit who had this company called Photo Jojo and they have this amazing community of like of photography gear for the creative community. And I said, let me like help with partnerships and community on the East Coast. And so he's like, okay. And he introduced me to Tumblr and Squarespace and you know all of these tech brands that I ended up building relationships with. And this is really just a period of like throwing so much against a wall to see what would stick. Mm-hmm. And I... I, um, you know, I was working and consulting with different startups and then there was one idea in particular. So at this time I was quite a night owl. And so I, my fr- a friend of mine had started one of New York city's first co-working spaces. And I said, you know, I said to him like, what about the people that work late at night? If you give me the space, I'll bring, you know, people in here when it's not being used. And so w- this ended up starting something called New York night owls. And in three months, New York Night Owls ended up spreading to 20 countries, being on the front page of the New York Times and um, ABC World News did a story. Oh, wow. So this was just like a time of like, I was in awe at like what was unfolding. And it was such a like, you know, I just like totally put myself out there, like, like decided to like give this like bold thing a try and really, you know, go in that direction. And it was working. And so I was like, okay. Yeah. Interesting. What else yeah. is possible? <laughs> exactly. So, and, and it's it's the power of that question. What else is possible? More more things can happen. And when you and I met in Boulder, you had your the World We Want project, the wall mm-hmm. that, that you you ended up taking around the world. And I just love the, the the concept of this so much. So just share with our listeners what that was and how that idea came about. Yeah. So this was the world we want was an interactive community art project and it invited communities to ask two questions. Um, I want to live in a world where it's the first question. And then to create this world, I will. Mm-hmm. And so it creates action on top of the dream. Exactly. So it's like, let's envision and then let's like take responsibility and figure out what our action stuff is. And this really emerged through, so this was many, so like me moving from New York to San Francisco, I think it was almost a decade ago now. Okay. Um, and so this was many years later and it emerged after, to be honest, I, I, that all the work I was doing ended up, you know, leading into me working with Seth Godin to start a publishing company. And then all of, I was guiding and being a catalyst for a lot of other people to realize their ideas and visions mm-hmm. and got a little burnt out in the process. I realized that I was what Julia Cameron calls a shadow artist. I was like mm-hmm. hiding behind other creatives to support mm-hmm. in catalyzing them. Mm-hmm. And I had sort of like put aside my own creative ambitions, um, in the process. So as a way to like get back in touch with that, I just started like going and meeting strangers in cafes and asking them about like what they were afraid of, what their dreams were, like the world they wanted to live. And I asked, started asking them these series of questions and it was just a way for me to like reinvigorate myself, Mm -hmm. um, and find inspiration. And along the way, you know, people started like having breakdowns and like saying to me, I'm sharing something with you I've never shared before. And it led to these really, really meaningful conversations. And so after about like, I think it was like 150 to 200 conversations later, I was like, okay, there's something to this. And how can I take the meaning that I'm experiencing one-on-one and bring it to a community in a public space? And so that's when I was walking around my neighborhood in Brooklyn and I noticed a flyer, oh, there's an art festival happening here in three weeks. And so I 
you know, immediately went home, looked it up, the Dumbo Arts Festival, and realized that the applications had closed like three months prior. But I had a friend who was involved in real estate in Dumbo. And so I reached out to her and I was like, who's in charge of this? And so she got me an email and I emailed the person and said, you know, no disrespect that applications close. And I realize you have a process here, but I have this idea. I'm a Dumbo resident and like, here's how I would get press here and basically just put together a whole pitch. And, you know, I almost didn't send the email because I thought I might insult her. Mm-hmm. And I ended up, of course, that's that was worry. And then wonder was like, come on, just send it. What's the worst that happens? Like she says no, and you find another wall. Mm-hmm. And so she ended up getting back to me in 24 hours and saying, which I thought was so funny because I had never created an art installation before in my life. Um, she said to me, "It sounds like you know what you're doing. I found you a <laughs> 60 foot wall. Oh, she found <laughs> the wall for you. She's like, I, you know, here's the wall for you in Dumbo, and it's like, by the way, it's 60 feet long." Um, and I was like, <laughs> okay. And then I literally had three weeks to figure out how to help, how the hell to pull it off. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That is really awesome. I love this story. And so you pull it off and you get all kinds off. of people writing on that wall that week. Yeah, it was nuts. I mean, I think we, 200,000 people came through the festival and it was like, we kept, we could not there was so much participation that actually they got, they got a little upset because they ended up, people were so excited. They ended up like going way beyond the wall and then like riding chalk everywhere, uh-huh. um, which, you know, right. people wanted to self-express. But <laughs> what happened from there is that I then started getting emails from people saying, Hey, I love this. Can I bring this to my community or will you bring this to my community? And, you know, I didn't think like, you know, there was someone from like Palestine and, and then also in Tel Aviv and there was like Perth, Australia and all these places around the world where I didn't know their community the way that they did. So I said, you know, rather than me coming there, here's a playbook of how I did it. And, you know, why don't you try it on too? Right. And it ended up being this like, you know, what, what was so profound about it was people who didn't know or think that they were artists, like all of a sudden it helped them expand this new identity within themselves. So like there were these two women in Chicago who did it, who now like are full-time artists. One was working in logistics and one was like doing something. I can't remember what totally different. I think she was in the digital agency world. And now they're full-time artists as a result of like, like they crushed this project. They like, they turned it into four cubes Uh and had it at like state and Monroe on uh, like Mich or actually no, like Michigan Avenue in Chicago like one of the busiest places where the Marilyn Monroe statue was. So like people really like took the idea, took it on and like use that to catalyze their career. And it was just so beautiful to witness how, how this project became a catalyst for people. And, and even you know, there's so many people that actually wrote on that wall and you don't know how those ideas sparked for all those, how many, yeah. I mean, do you have any idea how many people actually wrote on your walls? Oh man. I mean, I, I don't know off the top of my head. I know we like were collecting data in Brooklyn and then it got really overwhelming. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, but I'd say, you know, hundreds of thousands for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And so then you just think about the ripple effect of each person that took time to write on that, you know, for the people that actually were um, putting together the, the, the different plate, the different walls in the different cities and um, how you were able to, you know, that's a huge ripple effect. Mm-hmm. changes life yeah. from that perspective. Yeah. And we did get some really, you know, beautiful notes. And I remember there's this guy, I'm blanking on his name right now. Um, but he reached out and said, you know, his, nearly all of his friends were either in prison or dead. 
Mm-hmm. And he grew, out with a, grew up without a father and he now had a son and he saw this wall and he had never been asked this question before in his life. And it's something he had been thinking about, but didn't know how to put into words. And what he ended up writing on that wall was that he wanted to raise his son to be better than him. And he wanted to live in a world where boys were like, became good men. And that, that anchored his purpose for him and like had him realize that like, you know, this is his path. And so it was just like, like, I felt like the wall was able to cross cultures and like so many different boundaries. Like it was funny, we were building walls to break down walls Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it was so beautiful to see, you know, how it, the ripple and the impact that it had on people. Oh, that's so cool. That's so, so cool. So let's talk about your book. Why did you write Choose Wonder Over Worry? I wrote Choose Wonder Over Worry because I, I mean, the honest answer is I feel like I had to. I had this like literally pulsating energy inside of my body that I felt like needed to come out. Um, But I wrote it because, you know, throughout so much of my, my journey and exploration, you know, I dealt with a lot of anxiety and envy and feeling not good enough and imposter syndrome and like, you know, I felt like there were so many times where I, you know, either held back or didn't do something um, and wish I and regretted that, or I went after it and amazing things happened. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I wanted to really like anchor this, this decade long journey of like self-exploration and this decade long journey of like exploring our emotional world and learning to cultivate a, a healthy relationship with them in the format, you know, of a book. And since I was a little girl, the, you know, books were always the thing for me. I was fascinated. And then working with Seth Godin to help him publish books, I just like knew one day, like it was like my medium and my, my, my form of expression and my thing. Right. Right. Now you talk here a little bit about, you know, those moments where we make the decision to not move forward. You hold yourself back. Right. Um, what was your, your biggest personal worry that, that held you back in your lifetime, you know, as you're, as you, as you've been experiencing life in this transition period, what were the, what was that moment where you really held yourself back and what, what did that feel like? Mm, Yeah. I mean, so the, the one, the biggest one for me actually was always, it was less about career and it was always, so I lost my father when I was young and then I had a stepdad that I also, um, ended a relationship with. And, you know, I think I, I created a story from that, that men I love will leave me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not worthy of love mm-hmm. and I might be abandoned. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, for so much of my journey, I, I, I didn't realize this until I was in my mid twenties, really doing some of the deeper inner work, but I realized that I had this father size hole in my heart that I was always trying to fill with validation and approval and accomplishments and accolades and all the things. Mm-hmm. And, um, and just always seeking outside of me. And, you know, it took me many years to age, just like have the awareness of that. And then to realize that I will never leave me and right. I will never abandon me. And that I was projecting my own, you know, like inner fear, worry, ache on the world outside of me. And how can I, you know, really 
honor myself and show up for myself. And, you know, my, my dad ended up, you know, how he, how he died was in a car accident because he was under the influence. And even mm-hmm. though he was like a brilliant creative and, and businessman, he really never like faced, you know, some of his like weaknesses and he let his addictions get the best of him. And so I, you know, I feel like I didn't want to, I didn't want to follow in those footsteps and I really wanted to really face myself and my demons. And so much of, you know, even the idea of choosing wonder over worry, of course, it's like, you know, go after it and, you know, in like go, you know, dream the biggest dream and go make it happen, see what's possible. And it's also like wondering about our inner ache and wondering about our inner world. And so, so yeah, so I'd say that, you know, the big profound realization that I am worthy of love and I won't leave me because I can love and honor myself was probably the most transformative shift of my, of my twenties. And that certainly opened up, um, new relationships in your world, didn't it? Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I was dating, I had a a long habit of emotionally dating on emotionally unavailable men. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then finally I like started showing up for myself and then I like would not put up with the bullshit. And I was like, Oh, this feels good. And to the, you know, now I'm engaged and he's like literally the most loving, lovable, greatest man I've ever met on earth. And, you know, I, I did not have a history of seeing successful relationships. I don't, I don't feel like I ever really had a model of what a good relationship looked like. And I feel like him and I are creating that model. And so mm-hmm. it feels like, you know, to, I have goosebumps as I say that to like, you know, cause I didn't know if that was ever going to be possible for myself. It was really the love, the love department where I had a lot of the, you know, insecurity and angst. Right. Right. And so when you think about choosing wonder over worry, what's the, the biggest impact that choosing wonder over worry has had on, on your life? I'm, it's, it's enabled me to embrace all of myself rather than deny my messy or uncomfortable edges. Mm, I like and that. through doing that, you know, it's like, again, the, the outer reflects the inner. Mm-hmm. And so the more I t- turn inward and like, you know, even as the process of bringing this book to the world, of course, there's so much rejection that comes with oh, it. Sure, sure. And, and recognizing that rejection is only illuminating a part of myself that I haven't you know, that I, that I has an opportunity to have more compassion for. Cause if mm-hmm. I'm like seeing them say, oh man, her words have no substance. And that's really, I'm really locking onto that. There's a part of me that believes that my words have no substance. Right. And so it's like, you know, again, like it becomes this ongoing, like, oh, okay, let me, let me choose wonder on that. Let me get curious. Where is that coming from? Mm-hmm. And like, the more I turn inward and, you know, embrace and like have love for like, that part of myself, the more is opening out in the world outside of me. Oh, I like that a lot. So it's, 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 it's an energy, right? And, and so that, that energy of wonder, what does that feel like? What does it just describe what that energy is like for you when you think of the energy of wonder? Yeah. You know, I think it's this, like, it's, it's this open curiosity, this like, you know, willingness to put the, you know, the ego to the side to really see what's possible. And I think, you know, there's like a, to me, wonder has this like childlike curiosity about it, Mm -hmm. but there's also this sage wisdom. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's like playing with both of those elements and Mm -hmm. using that sort of like open eyed curiosity and possibility, both like looking inward and then also like walking outside and being like, wow. (laughs) Right. 
you know, like every element is, you know, and there's so much going on in our world and there's still so much to wonder about. Right. And to be curious about. Now you went, you went um, someplace overseas to write your book, didn't you? Bali. You went to Bali. So that, you know, that experience of being in a place like that certainly gave you plenty of space to be able to to play in the, the, the energy of wonder. And, um, how did, you know, how did you, the, the, the clarity on, I want the space to do this. Tell us a little bit about that because I, you know, a lot of times I know a lot of our listeners are thinking about the books that are in them and, mm-hmm. um, you got really clear that you wanted to create the space where that wonder could really be nurtured. So talk yeah. to us a little bit about that. Yeah. And I sort of, I, I got clear because my publisher asked me, can you write this in two and a half months? <laughs> <laughs> so you had a deadline. I was like, yes. And I need to disappear in order to accomplish that. <laughs> right. right. And so, you know, I think the, the initial space was, cause I thought about writing this book for five years and kept thinking I wasn't ready yet. I wasn't good enough. My story didn't matter you know, who am I to say this? I'm only this age. I mean, list goes on of all of the worry voices inside my head that told me that like, you know, this was not for me, which of course only indicated how this was for me because anytime those like those, that resistance as Stephen Pressfield calls it is louder and louder. That, that to me is the call that you care most about and is most meaningful. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I think the initial space for it was like, okay, this is the thing. And I'm going to at least give myself three weeks to like put together what the idea is, what my platform is. Let me just get a base. And so like, that was the first step was like that initial, I'm going to work on this a little bit every day for three weeks. And at the end of the three weeks, I'm going to have a first very early version of my proposal that hopefully I can use to talk to agents. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, okay, let me create a little bit more space. And then it was like, I locked in an agent. And then she's like, okay, we need this proposal. Okay. Let me put a little bit more space on the proposal process took five months. And then I was like, okay, now I need even more space because, whoa, I got a deal and I have two and a half months. So the deadline, you know, was, was key, but it was also that initial commitment. Right. Um, and, you know, cause I know someone hearing this might be like, oh man, two and a half months to, devoted to that thing. I don't have that, but it started out with like five minutes a day <laughs> until, you know, the pieces unfolded to where that opportunity even emerged. And so, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I flew to Bali. I basically told my friends and family that I was going into a creative cave and I loved them very much. And I would see them on the other side right? and not to have like, this is, this is, you know, the one time in my life where I really want to go focus on this and people respected that. Um, and then, you know, Bali was such a magnificent place because there is so much like the nature, the wonder, the like just the way that they approach life with such presence mm-hmm. was like, I mean, I, there's no way I could have written the book that I wrote in New York. <laughs> right. Because you have, you were surrounded by so much nature. Yeah. And yeah. it's, you know, I feel like whatever we're creating or whatever mode we're in, our environment can support us in aligning with that. So like New York is amazing for launching the book because it's the pole of ambition and action and making things happen. Whereas like the pole of Bali is much more about reflection and going inward and connecting and creating. 
So I always like, I always like to think about like, and I even think about this in our, our physical space of our apartment is called Wonderland in Brooklyn. And so like, I have a very specific place that like feels like I'm entering Bali because it's like Uh where I journal and write. And so I've like taken elements of places around the world to make my home in the middle of one of the noisiest cities in the world to feel like this tranquil space. Right. You know, it's, that's, that's, I so understand that when I wrote my book, I had to, um, I could not, I didn't write in my office. Um, I wrote Mm -hmm. in, in a place in my home where, um, there was big visual of the outdoor. I live in the foothills of Colorado. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I had, you know, deer and trees and mountains around me and, I, that was, I always swore that that was really an important piece of that, that mm-hmm. I needed that, that connection to nature when I was writing. And, um, I even had someone come into my house and do some energy work and s- said, Oh, this is your creative corner before she ever even knew that's where I wrote my book. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, no doubt. That's totally my creative corner. That is where I, that's where I wrote my book. And it was, it was that inspiration f- flowed through me at, in mm. that space. Mm-hmm. So tuning into that of what inspires us and what lights us up is is so important. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So you, in, in your book, you refer to the the myth of not enough, which mm. you know we all have that, and mm-hmm. and and it's you know I, I've gotten to interview so many just extraordinary women on this podcast, but it's like every single one of them says I run into the not enoughisms. Um, Talk to us a little about, bit about the myth and where it comes from and just what the impact of, of that is on our, our well-being and our work. Yeah. Well, and I think to you know build on what you just said, I have not met a person who has not at one point, if not sometimes daily, you know, faced the not enoughness myth. Which exactly. Is, you know, am I good enough? Is my voice good enough? Am I thin enough? Am I strong enough? Am I influential enough? Am I powerful enough? Do I have enough time? Do I have enough money? And this actually Lynn Twist talks about, I love the way she expresses it in the soul of money where she says, you know, we wake up and we haven't even got out of bed and we think I didn't get enough sleep and I don't have enough time to do the things that I want to do today. Right. And so it's this, you know, this myth of not enough, which came far before we got here and is sort of a part of our so, like how we're socialized and conditioned. The entire advertising industry, and I, I worked in the advertising world when I first got out of my career, and this I, I remember this precise moment of why I left it was because the CEO of our company gathered us, and there's this like new product to like for men to shine their shoes on the go, and he's like, okay, here's the key: we have to make the men feel insecure about their shoes not being shiny, and then they'll buy the product. <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, no, not shiny enough. <laughs> Not, not shiny, shiny enough, enough. Yeah. right? So it's like our whole like capitalism is built on and not thrives enough. off of us thinking we don't have enough. Right, you're absolutely tr- correct. And so we need more and more and more in order to be like whatever we think we'll be. And so you know that I I see it impact how we approach our day, how we approach our relationships, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we um, choose what to spend our time on, and so you know, how we like move beyond this myth is, you know, we first bring awareness to the fact that we're buying into it. Right. And then we can choose, wait, do I want to buy into something else? And I think that's, you know, that's where the wonder comes in and that's where so many, so much possibility begins. Yes, absolutely. I love that. Let's talk about worry. Um, you, you talk about there being, um, good and bad 
um, or useful and toxic worry. Mm -hmm. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, so many people come to me and they say like, you know, how do I get rid of my worry? How do I Mm -hmm. make my, how do I become fearless? How do I like crush or overcome the resistance? And, you know, I think that the first step is to look at that language more closely because, you know, worry and fear have been part of our evolution for thousands and thousands of years. And worry and fear protect us and keep us safe from danger and are very necessary to the survival of our species. And, you know, the difference today, of course, is that we're not getting chased by saber-toothed tigers and we're not going to like be killed out of the tribe if we're rejected. So there's like, you know, our our brain has not caught up with the level of danger and risk that we experience. Um, And yet it still is there to protect us and keep us safe. So where, you know, worry is useful as if, you know, we're standing too close to the edge of the mountain and we could fall off where he's going to be like, Hey, take a step back. Or, you know, in this, in the world of dating apps, which I was never a part of, but I keep hearing all these stories of, of dating apps. Like if you swipe right on Timber, Tinder and some guy's like, Hey baby, come over right now. You know, worry might be like, not a good idea. Exactly. <laughs> and so like worry is very useful in those scenarios. Worry right. is like, Hey, not safe. I think of like, you know, I, I sometimes, you know, fear can be love in disguise where I think of, you know, one time when I was a kid and I was running quickly down the yard and almost crossed the street and got hit by a car. My mom started screaming bloody murder right. because like, oh my God, my child might die. Right. And so that was fear masked as love. And mm-hmm. so I think, you know, that fear and that worry can show up of like, halt, stop, something is dangerous. Let's take a closer look at this. Um, but where worry becomes toxic is like, you know, that worry can get triggered when an important deadline is coming up or, you know, we're in a meeting and we want to speak up, but we're a little nervous or afraid that, you know, it might not land. And so worry, this is when worry and fear can actually prevent and stifle us from stepping into our potential and really sharing our gifts and speaking our truth. And so the questions I love to ask when like worry or fear come up is like, you know, is this a real possibility? So whatever you're worried about, is it a real possibility? And is it useful? Mm -hmm. And, you know, is there any productive action you can take on it? So like, if, you know, I'm in the middle of a meeting and I'm thinking, you know, I'm not good enough to speak my, speak my voice right now. Um, you know, I might ask, is this useful? No, not really. It's actually preventing me from speaking up. So like, is there any productive action I can take right now? Yes. Let me use my voice. (laughs) Right. Let Let me risk sounding stupid for the fact of like it feeling true and important for me to express this. Right. And so how do you get, how do you get into that, that motion of movement to expression to learning from it versus staying in a paralyzed state of, Oh gosh, I don't want to, you know, you know, letting that energy all suck in around you and say, well, I'm not going to let any of this out. Yeah. So the first step is to name it, to tame it. Mm-hmm. This is, I, I wish I coined that, but it's Dr. Dan Siegel. Um, and this is the idea is that when we can name whatever, you know, the thoughts flying through our head or the maybe tension in our body, when we can name our emotional experience, we can reduce our anxiety or sensation around it by up to 50%. And so, you know, this, of course, this is a muscle to build. So like, you know, I'm at the point now where if I'm in a meeting, I'll notice if that inner critic is chiming in. And I'm like, okay, right now the inner critic is saying this Mm -hmm. because they're afraid. Okay. Thank you, inner critic, but I'm going to still do this anyway. But you know, this might be a slow process at first where you notice you were 
using the meeting example, in a meeting, you didn't speak up. Afterwards, you could be like, okay, I'm going to name that. I didn't speak up because I was afraid that my voice didn't matter, that they wouldn't care what I had to think or whatever it, you know, whatever it is for you, just to like shine a light of awareness. And then to ask, okay, what would I want to do next time? Well, next time I want to take the risk. And, you know, a big part of my work is, is around dialogue and really having a relationship with these different emotions and voices and archetypes within ourselves. And so, you know, if this is a different example, but if I'm writing, that's like prime time when my perfectionist shows up and tells Mm -hmm. me that nothing I'm writing is good enough and everyone's going to hate it. And I'm going to get rejected and fall on my face and cry and never be able to write another book. (laughs) (laughs) Worry is very dramatic also. Like, you know, you know, it's toxic worry when it's like drama, drama, drama. Um, And, you know, that's when I'll say like, hey, perfectionism, you know, I see you're trying to keep me safe here from getting rejected. Here's the thing, you know, I know it's not good yet because it's not supposed to be because I just need to write the first draft. So please go get a manicure while I get messy and we can like, you can come involved, you can come for a little bit of the editing process. Like, can we catch up on this later? And usually like when I can name it and dialogue with it, perfectionism reduces its grip and I'm able to get back to doing, getting messy and doing the work. So I think like breaking it down into steps, it's like name it to tame it, talk to it. And then three really important, make that request. So this is like, I love the nonviolent communication process, both for like how we solve conflict with other people, but I think it applies to how we solve conflict with ourselves. And these are all internal conflicts. And so like when we can understand, okay, what is my request or my need right now? So maybe like if I'm writing, my need is to get messy Mm -hmm. and to write a shitty first draft. Mm -hmm. And so if I can make that request to myself and to my perfectionism, I'm able to get back to doing the thing or like, you know, maybe in the meeting example, it's like the request we make to ourselves is to like, be okay with people, um, not everyone resonating with it and be okay with, um, seeing what happens when you speak up. And so, and then the request is to actually speak up next time. And so beginning to like, yeah, to, to build that relationship with the self. Absolutely. And, and have a conversation where I often tell my clients, you know, name that worry, name that fear mm-hmm. and say, thanks, I've got this right now. You yes. know, so that is that conversation that you actually start to have with that inner in, inner you and say, I really got this. I'm stepping forward into it. And then you can start to see how ridiculous some of those worries can really be when, you know, they just show up all the time, all the time. Gosh, I'm a horrible writer. Um, that's so ridiculous, right? It's like, it, yeah. it just becomes a, it's just a, so much lighter and so much easier to move through that way. Totally. And I love like, okay, I've got this. It's like setting the boundary. Like, mm-hmm. thank you. And thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> exactly. I appreciate your love, but I've got this. So yeah, absolutely. So where can people learn more about you and also your book? Where can they get your book? Um, they can get the book at choosewonder.com and then Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all the places where books are sold. Um, they can, I love Instagram and I feel like that's, I am very active and I, you know, read everything and share lots of comments and like to talk to people there. So I'm Hey Amber Ray on Instagram. And then, um, my website's amberray.com and that's where I have a blog and all kinds of, of articles and, and resources. Well, I invite everybody who's listening to go out and um, you know connect with you there because you always put really interesting, thoughtful, thought-provoking words of wisdom on all of your on all your socials. So I, I always love your work. 
Thank so you. Pearls of wisdom that you can share with our audience as we wrap up today, Amber. Yeah. So the first one, you know, I think especially as women, we have such a tendency to think about how we can serve and help others first. Mm-hmm. And particularly with our work. Right. And, you know, I, I talked to so many creative women who are like, I want my work to help people blank. And I would encourage you to like, to focus on yourself and to help yourself first, even for a little bit and to give yourself permission to make something just because you want to, and it feels good. Mm, I like and that. Like, yes. And, and, and here's what I found when I make things that I am making for me, because I, I feel like I need to, and it feels good. Um, that's when it actually tends to sometimes help other people more, mm-hmm. which I've found really interesting. My, my friend El Luna said to me years ago, because she noticed that a lot of my work was all focused on, you know, serving and helping others. And she said, um, you know, just for a little while, try this experiment. And she said, you know, Picasso said something along the lines of like, he created work to heal his own toothache. And she asked me what the work for me would be to heal my own ache. Mm. And that, that has just been so powerful in, in my creative journey. That's really brilliant. I love it because you're right. We, as women, we are always out there saying, I want to make an impact. I want to make a difference. Um, but if it's if we turn that back towards us and what what do I need, that's that's mm-hmm. really beautiful. And to know that that also makes a difference, right? That's where the magic is, right? Yeah, totally. And then the second pearl of wisdom. This is something I turn to daily. I went to a workshop with Cheryl Strayed, and she got on stage and she said, "Do you tell your journal the truth?" Mm. And I was like, "Oh, <laughs> that's good." And there were, there were a few places in my life where I was not telling myself the truth. And so oh. I'd say build a practice of truth telling where every day, you know, for me, the practice is opening my journal and saying, okay, you know, like, let's, let's be honest with each other today. And so like, you know, where is it that you're not being honest or what is it that you feel like you're, where are you playing small and, and, you know, and really like dive into that ongoing journey and conversation of truth with yourself and know that things change and evolve and that's okay. And just to continue to have that relationship of truth with yourself. I I made a commitment to myself that I would always, you know, tell myself the wild and honest truth, even if it was scary or I didn't want to admit it. And that has been life changing. Mm, That's good. And then the last uh, gem of wisdom would be to celebrate yourself, you know, as much as we, we go into that, I find, at least for me personally, I can like go, 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 like next thing, next thing, next thing, forgetting about the progress made when celebrating the progress along the way is, is so key and reminds you of where you are and how far you've come and it motivates, you know, it motivates us to keep going. So celebrate yourself. Ooh, I like that. So I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And I want to congratulate you on Choose Wonder Over Worry. I can't wait thank to you. myself. And thank you. Um, it's, it's, I'm sure it's really going it, to, it's meant to be out in the world. I mean, I think it's really important work that you're doing. So thank you so much. Thank you. It's such a joy to be here with you. Have a great day. You too. I hope you liked this episode of Extraordinary Women Radio. If you did, please share this podcast with your own special tribe of women and help spread the love, the dreams, and the inspiration. 
Are you thinking about making the next bold move in your life? I invite you to take the Your Next Bold Move quiz at CammieGelner.com to find out how you can jumpstart a passionate and meaningful next chapter. You may also enjoy my book, Fire Dancer, Your Spiral Journey to a Life of Passion and Purpose, which is available on Amazon. In Fire Dancer, you will become intimately connected to your heart's calling and build the courage and resiliency to ignite your what's next. I'd love to hear from you on any of my social media channels. I'm on both Facebook and Twitter, and the links are available on my website. Till next time, my friend, listen to your heart, follow your dreams, and be you.